One of the most difficult parts of this quarantining ourselves is that we can feel isolated. We feel isolated from the world, like a, a single mother who's not able to go out and, and to socialize. We feel isolated from our family. Grandparents can't go and, and see their grandchildren. I was talking to one of our church members and she told me that she hasn't seen anyone other than her husband for two months. We feel isolated from the church. So many of you have told me that you miss gathering together and worshiping, worshiping together as God's family. We do feel isolated in this time. So many don't get to experience the, the social gatherings that we once had in our life not too long ago. We are longing to be together with others. We are longing to feel like we belong. And this isolation makes it difficult to feel like we belong. Last week we talked about how we, found, we find our salvation in Jesus Christ. How we are not saved by our good works. But once we are saved, we are empowered to do good works for the Lord. We are prepared to do these by God for His glory and for His honor. We come together as God's people. And we remember that we need to do these good works to, to help others know who God is and what God can mean in their lives. As we come to the last half of Ephesians chapter 2, we'll see that as we are told we belong to Christ, we also belong to the body of Christ. Our salvation connects us with other believers, with his body, the church. This connection to Christ and others affects our relationships, our place in the community, and how we are called to live our lives. It connects us even when we aren't gathered together. Have you ever felt excluded from something? Maybe you wanted to be a part of a group and you were excluded from it. Maybe there's been times even when you've been here at church and you felt excluded right here at church. Maybe you even found, felt excluded in your family in some way. It is never fun to, to feel excluded because it can make us feel unimportant and, and unworthy. There are many ways in life that we feel excluded, and when we do, it can be very painful. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, says this. He says, the fact that the Spirit of God, the life of God, coming into our lives as believers creates a tie stronger than any other tie that can exist. It's a tie that transcends the deepest differences that can exist between human beings, differences of family, race, culture, class. Therefore, the church has a unity that the world has been seeking between human beings for years in vain. Paul talks about unity in this way. When he says, he talks about Gentiles, and we know that a Gentile is all those who are, who are not Jews. We know that throughout the scripture, the Jews were God's chosen people. They, they were the ones that belonged to God and who were saved by God. They were the ones who had God's presence and power in their lives. But for the most part, the Gentiles were excluded. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Therefore remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded 
found citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. This passage was written to Gentiles saying that they are separate from Christ, excluded from Israel in its covenants and without both hope and God. Not a good place to be. But in verse 13, Paul talks about how everything changes in Christ. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is saying succinctly that without faith in God, we will be separated from God. This was all the more true for the Gentiles because they did not know the God of creation, the God of the Bible. Maybe they knew of God, but they did not know God. But God knew this to be true. And because of this, he sent Jesus Christ into the world so that this whole structure would change. God wanted all to know him and to be brought near. We see here in Ephesians 2 that we're reminded that we should never think of ourselves as religiously superior. For we ourselves, before we came to Christ, were separate from Christ and far away. Remember, while we are not saved by our own doing, we are saved, therefore, by Christ. So we encounter those who do not know God, or say that they don't want to know God, like the atheists, and we need to seek to embrace them and to bring God's glory to them, bring God's grace to them, bring them the hope that they do not have. And we want them to discover that true spirituality is something to be lived in community with Jesus' followers. As we go along in the passage, we'll see how we can come to know God much deeper when we are in community, when we join together with others as Christ followers, when we discover that we belong not only to Christ, but to his body, the church. If you feel like you are excluded in any way, I want to encourage you to come to Christ and you will feel a part of something, a part of the body of Christ. We are blessed when we discover that we belong because we are brought near to God in Christ. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how there are two groups who are hostile to each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. He says in verses 14 to 15, For he himself, talking about Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You might remember these words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. With those historic words, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, was issuing a challenge to the leader of the Soviet Union. He was directly speaking to the more than 40,000 Germans who had gathered at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin on June 12, 1987. Yet his real audience was General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev because he was the one who truly had the authority to tear down the wall. As we think about this event, we understand the importance of tearing down the walls that are around us. Jesus Christ came to tear down a wall. Paul here celebrates the fact that the barrier, this wall between Jews and Gentiles has been destroyed by the works of Christ. He did indeed tear down this wall, this wall which was created by our sin, but Christ had the power to break down this barrier, to break down this wall. 
In his life and his death, Jesus Christ satisfied the law's demands and thus opened an avenue to salvation, a new way for people to be in relationship with God. All people have sinned, including both Jew and Gentile, and all people are saved by God's grace offered to all who believe through Jesus Christ. Thus, the law no longer functions to support the hostile division between Jews and Gentiles. And we should not build any walls with people around us. We should look for opportunities to love them and to lead them to Christ, to help all to be in unity in Christ so that we can be in unity with one another. And then Paul says in verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Christ brought peace to a hostile situation. If I were to ask you the question, why did Christ died on the cross. What was the purpose of his dying? You might say something like, well, he died for our sins. He died so that we could have salvation. He took the penalty of our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be able to be reconciled to God forever. And this answer would be right, but it wouldn't give the full truth to capture the purpose of Christ. Even more, we see here that his sacrifice not only secured salvation for us, but also paved the way to end hostility between communities of people. His purpose was to first create in himself a new community, thus making peace. And second, in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. With this language, Paul underscores the fact that peace isn't merely the ending of hostility between groups in conflict. Rather, it is the forming of a new community of grace, love, and justice. A community with profound and pervasive unity. This is one big reason people need Jesus to be unified with God and with his people. Christ died to bring an end to the hostilities that divide us and to form us into new communities that mirror the very unity of God. According to Ephesians 2.17, Christ came as the preacher of peace. Paul says it like this, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Ephesians 2.17 is used as a metaphor, showing us that by his action on the cross, he brought peace through his death. He indeed is the prince of peace, the title given to him as Messiah in Isaiah 57.19 bringing peace to the whole world between God and mankind, which was lost when sin came into the world. The great reformer and theologian John Calvin says, all that Christ had done towards effecting reconciliation would have been of no service if it had not been proclaimed by the gospel. And therefore he adds that the fruit of this peace has now been offered both to Jews and Gentiles. So what does this mean for us? Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, who have been called into this ministry of preaching peace, or if you will, peacemaking, in our words, in our deeds, in our desires, in our intentions, we are to be people who command, embody, and foster the peace of Christ. We are to do this not only in our church and in our family, but to have whoever God brings into our life. Our lives should be the sermon 
preaching the gospel to those around us. When you live your life in this way, it becomes a message to others, a message that Christ can bring peace between them and God, and them and those around them. But this peace can only be experienced in and through Christ. You've probably seen many pictures of John F. Kennedy with his kids in the Oval Office. There's one particular famous one where his kids are dancing around and he's seen clapping as they dance. And their kids are really not even thinking about the fact that they're in the Oval Office or they're there with the President of the United States because to them, he's dad. They're in the presence of their dad. Ephesians 2.18, we read, for, though Christ, for through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We probably never had access to the Oval Office like John F. Kennedy's kids did, but we have something even more important than that. We have something that's even more amazing. According to verse 18, we have access to the Father through Christ and by the Spirit. How amazing it is we have this free access to God. We can approach God as a beloved child by the Spirit. How wonderful it is that God gives us this blessing. And it shouldn't really surprise us, because if we remember back in Ephesians 1, we are told, we are told that we are His glorious inheritance. For some, this might be a great revelation, but to others, maybe not that we have access to God Himself. It is easy to take this privilege for granted. I know that a lot of times it becomes so familiar to me to draw near to the Heavenly Father that I forget to be amazed at the fact that He welcomes me into His presence. Perhaps you feel the same way. Perhaps you feel like it's just so commonplace that you forget how wonderful it is. But whether you do or not, I invite you to reflect on the fact that because of Christ's death on the cross, your sins have been washed away. You are now free and welcome to approach the Father who delights in you. So another secret of living the better life is to enjoy this special time of coming into God's presence and being lifted up in His love and in His delight of you. Because Christ has broken down the wall you and I can come into the very presence of God. Paul concludes the last section of this passage, starting with verse 19. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul uses the word consequently to draw a conclusion to all that he has been saying up to this point. Specifically, that we are going to discover some implications Implications that there is a wonderful God who wants to receive us and to know us and to be our God. We are part of God's community of peace. And so we look at how Christ has reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles through his death. He's reconciled both groups and given both groups access to the Father by the Spirit it leads us to a new way of thinking about what it means to be God's people together. This new perspective can radically change the way you think about yourself and your participation in the community of Christians. 
Jesus died on the cross, thus forging reconciliation among divided peoples. How might this impact the way you live your life? This is a good question, and I encourage you to reflect upon this question throughout the week. How might this impact how you live your life? We live in a country that is deeply divided. We are all citizens of this country, but we have varying opinions on what is good and what is right and how the country should be formed and, and, and governed. Even more, there are, are divisions of opinion, opinion on how we should deal with this coronavirus. There are many who think that we should listen to what the government is saying and that we should stay home and, and be safe at home and we should continue to quarantine ourselves. And there's another group of people that thinks that it is time to, to stop quarantining ourselves. It's time to get out and, and get businesses back running and get our economy back running. And so you have these two very differing opinions, a division that's going on even now in this time. Yet there is still a connection. See, we're all the people of God, but we're also the citizens of this country. And we need to learn how to live in unity with one another. We need to bring the peace of God into our world so that we can have more unity. Ephesians 2.19 reveals to us an even more important citizenship that we have, though. We are fellow citizens with God's people. This is another way of talking about the church universal, about all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are part of a body, the body of Christ. We are part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. We are related as members of a family together, God's family. In a day when spiritual people are less and less inclined to be actively involved in any religious community, when millions of Christians seem satisfied with being disconnected from other believers, we hear this good news from Ephesians 2.19, and we need to consider the implications for our lives. Because of Christ, you are a fellow citizen with God's people. You belong not just to God, but also to the community of those who have pledged their allegiance to God through Christ. This is true whether we live together virtually or in person. Paul closes chapter 2 with these words from verses 20 to 22. He says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in, in him you two are being built up, joined together as the holy temple of the Lord. We come together as a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Hear this important truth. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, that which orients and supports everything we do. A literal cornerstone is the first piece of a building that is laid down. The cornerstone determines the precise location and orientation of the building. Thus, in a sense, the cornerstone not only provides guidance for the builder, but also the options for the builder. It says, build here and not there. We are holy temple of the Lord. He lives in us and he reigns over our lives. Jesus Christ is then to be the cornerstone of our life, of his people who constitute a holy temple in the Lord. 
Inspired by this image, I would suggest that Jesus also be the cornerstone of each individual life, each individual Christian, the lives we build through a lifetime of work. If Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, then many of the cho choices that come into our lives are easy. We don't even have to hardly think about them. You will not, for example, have to say, should I take revenge on the person? You shouldn't. Or should I have an affair with my friend's wife? No, you shouldn't. You wouldn't want to live a life of conspicuous consumption in order to convince yourself that you matter. You don't have to feel entitled and look down on other people. I'm not suggesting that having Christ as our cornerstone makes life easy. But as you build upon your life with Jesus as your cornerstone, He gives you direction direction of how we should live together in the kingdom of God. And he allows us to have greater freedom in the way we live and the, and the decisions we make and having confidence and wisdom and significance in life. We are citizens of God's kingdom, joined together in Christ. And this reminds us that we belong. There's a place in India called the New Life Center it is a place designed to house and help those who are de dealing with debilitating uh, diseases. And there's a story of a man named John who came to the New Life Center one day, and he had advanced uh, leprosy. They couldn't help him with the disease, but they did offer him a place to live. Now, John didn't smile much because the, the leprosy had uh, paralyzed one side of his face pretty significantly. And so whenever he smiled, it distorted his face, so much so that people would often gasp when he tried to smile. So consequently, you can wonder, you can imagine that he did not want to smile much. And it also created a lot of anger in him. Well, having lived in the New Life Center for a while, he actually came to Christ. He accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord. And he decided that he wanted to go to church. Paul, the leader of New Life Center, was a little concerned. They didn't know how the people at the church would receive him. But they decided to go one Sunday. They got ready and they went to the local church. They were a little late and the, the church was already singing the first hymn. And as they walked in, a man looked over and saw John. And he smiled. And he waved John over and he patted on his seat like, Come, sit here. And that one act of grace changed John's life from that moment forward. And he started to get, get confidence in himself. And he, he started to then work at the local factory. And he even run, won a reward, uh, an award for being a, a wonderful employee for the highest quality of work. A simple gesture of acceptance led John to feel like he belonged and changed his life. In this time that we have been disconnected from each other, in physical contact, we need to remember that we belong. We belong to Christ. We belong to the body of Christ, the church. We belong to God's family as the people of God, able to come into His very presence. We belong as an important part of His kingdom. There are many in our community right here in the South Bay who maybe don't feel like they belong. We as a church, even though we're scattered, can help them feel like they belong. We can reach out to our neighbors, to our friends that don't feel like they belong and help them to understand that in Christ they belong. As we consider the implications of this passage, I am impressed by the responsibility we share as Christians 
to live in a world in such a way that God is truly and obviously present because of the way we live our lives. I am challenged by this passage in Ephesians to consider the way I live each day. How can I help people understand that they belong, that they need Jesus Christ, and through Christ, they belong? May I commit myself to this. May you commit yourself to this, that we would break down the barrier, break down the walls of hostility, and bring peace and unity to those around us. And even more, bring people to Christ so that we can join together and belong together in the family of God. Let us pray.